We cover many serious issues in this podcast. This discussion may contain reference to domestic violence, sexual violence, violence against children, suicide, drug use, or graphic depictions of death or dead bodies. It is not suitable for all audiences. Tonight on Unsolved Mysteries Rewind, two friends get together to discuss episodes of their favorite television show, Unsolved Mysteries. Will they find answers? Will anyone care? You may be able to solve a mystery. Unsolved Mysteries Rewind. My name is Kim, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you? I'm doing great, Kim. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show today. Oh, you're <laughs> always welcome. Thank you. I have my coffee, and I am ready to discuss unexplained things, unsolved yeah. things. We're talking specifically Season 5, Episode 18. Yeah, this one is... um this. First story that we're going to talk about takes place in a general area that I consider to be one of my favorite areas. Mm. Um, and that's, um, it's kind of near Lancaster, and I really like Lancaster. It's why I chose the Amish story on a previous episode, which was a complete failure of a choice. But It wasn't Amish. It was <laughs> yeah. a good story, but it wasn't Amish. Not Amish. <laughs> but um, it's Stroudsburg, PA. And Stroudsburg is one of these um, sleepy little towns and... Mm-hmm. It has some really bad areas too. It they they have their own prison, I believe too. But mm-hmm. it's um there's something about that whole area. There's a certain Dutch way of life that uh, mm. I, I just find to be very calming and relaxing. And I'm always going in that vicinity, more Lancaster than Stroudsburg, and looking at like small houses and stuff like that to, to purchase maybe. Well, well so- interesting that you bring up the prison. Because we start in 1983 in Stroudsburg, PA, and we have a young man who is home on furlough from prison. So, Do we yeah, know what prison it was? I mean, because there are two. I, I don't know oh. if this other one I'm thinking of is Stroudsburg. I'll look it up. But it looks like it's a, it's a beautiful prison because it's, I think it's more considered a correctional facility. But mm-hmm. it looks like a castle, like the architecture of it are, is actually beautiful. But then there's one that kind of looks like your average high school. It's mm. just creepy looking. Well, I'm not sure of it off the top of my head, but I'm sure we can find out. Yeah, I'll do it quick. This, guys. But yeah, we have Don Decker, who yeah. was granted um, furlough. a furlough, but but we don't really know how long, right? And, you know, do you just get granted furlough and not really have a place to stay with family? Well, he did have a place to stay with his family. Was that with his family? No. Oh. So what happened was he is at his grandpa's funeral. And I guess that his grandpa used to, like, really abuse him. But we didn't uh, go too much into that, did we? I mean. We barely touch on it. We're at the funeral. We see him, like, staring at his grandpa's casket. His grandpa's, like, body in the casket. Um, and it says that afterwards he went home with his mom and dad and his mom and dad were just like glorifying the man who died, his grandpa, just saying what a good guy he was. And he got super upset. He's like, he wasn't a good guy. He used to abuse me from the age of seven. Right. And 
like just because he's dead doesn't mean he's a great person. So he actually storms out and goes to his friend's house, which is the couple Bob and Je- Jeannie Kiefer. And Bob enters the enters the door thinking, oh, it's Don, the guy who is in prison. Hey, what's up, Don? Yeah, did he escape? Am I in trouble? Right. It's, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, Don is probably a pretty troubled guy. That's, I think that's what we can kind of walk away with this, knowing what also happens after this story. Well, they refer to his sentence that he is currently fur- furloughed on, which is uh, receiving stolen property. They refer to it in Unsolved Mysteries as the capstone of a troubled adolescence. <laughs> Very nice. So he's had his issues. So like you said, he kind of shows up at Bob and Jeannie's house and he is just sitting there and he all of a sudden falls into what's described as a trance-like state. And then behind Bob and pretty much everywhere in the living room, water just starts pouring down from the ceiling above. This reminded me so much of certain horror movies where blood starts coming out of the walls and the house Mm -hmm. is alive. And usually you will point your finger at, you know, Indian burial ground or you you think Mm -hmm. the house is cursed. You don't Mm -hmm. usually think, at least I don't, that it's the person who is bringing these things to fruition. Well, the reason that they think it's the person is because they call their landlord, Rob Van Wy, and I they're like, I do too. I do too. And they call him and they're like, uh, I think we got like busted pipes or something. Like there's water coming in and out. But the thing is, water's also coming up from underneath. It is raining sideways in here. Like water is coming from every which way. And there's no pipes in this part of the house. Which is, yeah. of course, makes things even a little bit more odd. So they decide to call the police. I don't know why that's who you go to, but they decided <laughs> to call the police. Right. And the police are saying, they, we have them on Unsolved Mysteries in an interview, saying that rain is coming like every which way in between them, zooming between rooms. Like, it is just, there's no rhyme or reason to this. So they're like, you know what? We're going to leave. So Bob, Jeannie, and Don, Don, our rain boy, leave to go to some pizzeria. Yeah. And because of that, when they leave, Rob and his wife, Romaine, stay behind. And then they notice that it stopped raining all of a sudden. So that's why they think it was a person. The whole thing is crazy. I mean, I guess with the police being involved. That's the number one thing that legitimizes this, but I don't know why we just accept their word for it. Yeah, I don't know. There's so many people. So there's so many people that are like, I witnessed this. Like, this is real. So we actually get to go and meet my favorite character, Pam, the pizzeria owner. I guess Pam had like been over to the house earlier in the day and saw the rain because they're right across the street from the pizzeria. So when they're in the pizzeria, she's like, you need to take him to a priest. Like, get this man some help. So she puts a rosary on him. Yeah. And it's like, he's like, it burns, it burns. Yeah. So she's like, you wear it, you wear it. And I guess it like turned black. And then in the pizzeria, it starts raining. It's it's just, yeah. Like, um, And there was one thing that you would come across where somebody experienced this, a total outsider experience. Yeah, if you guys go to unsolved.com, uh, you can see a lot of, like, a lot of comments on the episodes. But somebody said that when they were a little girl, they were in the pizzeria when it started raining and how it, like, haunted her for the rest of her life. That would haunt me. I mean, if you're sitting, you know, having a calzone or something, and sure. as you're doing it, it's raining. I guess the walls are seeping with water. And, and you're like, 
you hear this guy screaming that the rosary burns him and like they're saying basically that it's like the devil coming through to him right. and he's saying it's like no you know what this is this is my evil grandfather's spirit is like trying to hurt me in his death just like he hurt me in life i would l- i would love to know more about the grandfather i couldn't find too much about him um i no. don't know did he- i mean if if he was like maybe a high priest or if there was some some semblance of something that connected him to the paranormal, I guess I could at least accept that part of the story. But it, the whole thing is seems so out there. But there are the what makes it so believable is how many people nine or ten people? Yeah, ten set, people, including Don. So nine. I mean, you know, and he's not alone when this happens. Um, mm-hmm. And it happens in multiple places. He also starts being able to control it. Yeah. So, well, okay. This is like the best part. And I will make a gif of this and I will post this on our (laughs) Unsolved Mysteries Rewind Facebook page. But Mrs. Van Wy, the um, landlord's wife, and Mrs. Kiefer, you know, the homeowner's wife, they walk in and just start chastising Dawn in the kitchen because they're women and they're shrill. So they're like, what are you doing to us? you got to stop your demonic presence in the house. And all of a sudden, all like the pots and pans start rattling in the house. Then Dawn is like levitated off the ground, does a full 360 twirl, and is like slammed against the wall. Yeah, I mean, this is where you throw the guy out. <laughs> Get oh, out of yeah. my house. Enough. Yeah, Actually, the rain. He wouldn't be back in my house. He would be. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Yeah. There's I money know. for it's, a hotel. It's pretty crazy. I, I mean, I would definitely kick his butt out of the house and whatever spirits came with him but it's so bananas like i usually am always looking for an answer and i've saw a lot of things that said it was ice damming which is like when it snows you know the ice will drip off the roof the snow will drip off the roof into the house make ice Mm -hmm. and then when the house warms up the ice will leak all down but then how did he also do it in the pizzeria unless they were having the same exact I mean, all right, let's say hypothetically that they had a really huge winter. This was towards the end of February. Mm-hmm. So let's just say hypothetically, because we didn't look it up, and probably we should have, <laughs> what, what the weather was like in Pennsylvania at this time. Is it possible mm. there was a ton of snow right beforehand, and maybe this all occurred on a day where maybe the temperature really shot up? Very possible. But then how did it happen in jail? Because when he's in jail, he also does it. We don't have a timeline there. No, we don't. But also, I have to say the jail one was like the least one that I believed because he said that it started just like soaking the concrete. And I'm like, okay, well, anybody that's ever seen lockup knows that you could just like flood your cell by like flushing shirts down the toilet and just to bother the guards, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's that. But can I also just say, um, if you didn't want to make a mess that appeared to be coming from the sink, the guy is kind of um, not the most normal guy in the world. It's possible he just peed on the wall and the bars and it's dripping. It's disgusting. Yeah, but then how is the rain going sideways in the house? I I think it's, um, well, if you crank the heat, maybe. Oh, so like the air condition, like the air is getting pushed through. And throw a fan on? I don't know. I don't have an answer. And you you pointed out the thing that they had talked about, about the wind. um, What was it? The devil's fog? 
Yeah, he's like, it was the devil's mist, right? It's a good word. It's a good phrase. I just, I've yeah. never heard it. I, I'm sure it's in a movie somewhere. Yeah, that was the priest that said that. <laughs> so, mm. like, they call more cops out. They call the chief of police out and, <laughs> like, a few more out. cops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they call him out and the chief's like, I got a meeting with the mayor at 7 o'clock. I don't have time for this. Yeah. So he comes in. He's like, this is a plumbing problem. Call your plumber. Two other guys come in and they're like, here's what we're going to do. I don't know why, but we're going to put this paper bag over your head. Yeah, like, what was that about? I have no idea. We want you to hold this cross in your hand. So he holds, like, the rosary in his hand, and just smoke starts coming out of it on the reenactment. And he's, the guy, the cop talks to Unsolved Mysteries. He's like, when you touched it, it was hot. Not hot, hot, but hot. So it's like, oh, it's like somebody had had it in their hand, you know, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. So the rain starts again and you just hear it like hitting the paper bag on his head and he is levitated again. And again, he's thrown against the wall. So they like lift the paper bag to see what's going on. And he has these claw marks like all over his neck that are bleeding down. No photographic evidence and no video evidence. And granted, nobody had an iPhone either because exactly. of the period of time. I'm willing to accept that. But <clears throat> a We're lot of this, everyone, I mean, when I was a kid, during this period of time, there was always somebody who had their Kodak disc camera or they had their little 110 pocket Kodak. Um, I just I have a hard time believing there's no physical or, or photographic evidence. That being said, I see a lot a lot of correlations here to UFO sightings. Hmm. There's a lot of that kind of mysterious like, well, if there was a photo, it would be grainy or a lot of people have seen it, but nobody can really state what it precisely it is. Um, mm-hmm. And it's unexplained. I think we yeah. have to chalk this up to unexplained phenomena because of the amount of people who saw it. Um, and they are you know, police officers. So you kind of expect them to not want to be put in the middle of something that is so controversial. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right where like how many police officers are willing to go on record really adds some validity to it. Um, they call over an evangelical preacher to come do an exorcism on him mm-hmm. and everyone gets down and says the our father and then bam, he's cured. So he ends up going back to jail because his furlough is over and he's like, I can control it now. That so he started, that was a good break. I'll go back to prison. Now. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it never happened to me in there. So he starts like rubbing his fingers together, almost like money, you know, when you make the money symbol. Yeah. Um, and so he's making that. And then all of a sudden, I guess some lieutenants like do it, make it rain in the warden's office if you can really make it rain. So he tries to make it rain and it doesn't, but it does soak the warden's shirt. Yeah, that's a weird thing. It's just kind of sweating through his shirt, maybe. It looked like under boob sweat. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, like he's hunched over and it's like, hey, buddy. Yeah, it was like right there, too. It was like right under his man boob, if you want to call it that. And it was like four inches, a two inch band of sweat. And it's like, I mean, I spell more on me when I'm drinking water. So I don't know. <laughs> right. We didn't notice there was a lobster bib on the side of the thing and <laughs> exactly. some buttercups. <laughs> but, you know, it's a weird coincidence. Um, I don't know. There seems to be a lot of water here. There's no connection to his grandfather really having to do with water. No, but did you notice when they do the grandfather funeral scenes and when they're talking to Don Decker, Unsolved Mysteries is, that behind him in the background, it's raining. 
And then whenever he gets like an exorcism or he's cured or whatever, the rain stops in the background. Hmm. No, I didn't notice. That. I was like, I see you on Salt Mystery. That's pretty clever. <laughs> you have to get your um, you have to get your creativeness out into the forefront, I guess, when you're making Unsolved Mysteries. It was beautiful. It was really impressive, honestly. I thought that was cool. So I like the lev- the levitating effect was fairly decent for the time. Yeah, he like levitates. There's this like neon green light coming from beneath him. And I don't know. It was crazy. So yeah. now yeah. an unrelated story to this, which is very related, is that later on he will go on to be arrested for arson. Yeah, the opposite of making it rain somewhere. Now, he burned down a place called Dana's Restaurant, which mm-hmm. I'd never heard of. He burned, it was 1992, I think. And I know this area very well. I, I posted a link of how close it is to my favorite restaurant in the Poconos. <laughs> called, I'm sorry. Let me just correct that. The only halfway decent restaurant in the Poconos, because there <laughs> are no restaurants in the Poconos. It wow. is so boring there. It is ridiculous. So... If you're going to go, just make sure that what you're bringing is, you know, you're going to bring some board games or something because <laughs> there's really not that much to do. Um, it's it's a lot of like hanging out at the lake type of thing, and mm. that kind of drives me a little crazy. So, <laughs> but the the restaurant I like a lot is Jubilee, and this is only about ten miles away from where Dana's restaurant was, and I mm-hmm. do know this area well, and. It's really kind of a shame that he would destroy a restaurant of all things in well, an area with so little. Yeah, well, I'm. I apologize for the correction, but it's actually 2012 that this happened. Oh, 2012. I'm sorry. Yes. And he was hired by the restaurant owner to burn it down to get the insurance money. Yeah. So they yeah. were gonna like blitzies. Yeah. No, it was. It was like <laughs> Theodorus Katsapopoulos, something like that. Very Greek. Sounds name. like a diner. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, so. I don't know if you know that diners are mostly owned by Greek people. I think that might be a New York specific thing. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. Because yeah, everybody's cannot... name is Nick or um, <laughs> something Papadopoulos, you know. A lot of Suvlaki and a lot of um, those type of things. Hmm. I didn't know. I thought diners were a real kind of Greek thing. I, I mean, guess just in New York, was, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure everywhere is a little bit different. I don't know one Greek person off the top of my head. but <laughs> Not that you I have guess... a problem with them or anything. Oh, my God, no. Of course not. <laughs> Well, does that bring us to nine years to the day after Rainboy? Yes. And there's no conclusion to this. Um, this I, one is so frustrating. It really is. It is kind of frustrating, but there's another story in this episode where it becomes kind of an unresolved moment and it leaves you kind of wanting more, but there's no more. Mm-hmm. Just the way it is. Don't solve mysteries. It's in the title. You get what you get. Yes. <laughs> um, you also looked up the, I just want to mention, you did look found what the address might have been. I don't know where this area is. This is like really off the beaten path of where the rain house would have been. I have no, I don't, I'm not familiar with that particular area. Oh, okay. So yes. we, yeah. So we, we're talking about a motorcycle incident this time. Yeah. Around. We're going all the way to Emeryville, California. Um, in 1992, it had a population of less than 6,000 people, but it's right near San Francisco. And it was actually ranked the most dangerous place in California. Yeah. Uh, it, it's because of the number of violent crimes per person and it's high number of property crimes per person. But all said, we have a one in five chance of being a victim of crime. If you live in Emeryville, is that current? Uh, that is current. Yeah. Wow. I don't know what it was like in 1992, but so it's about eight thirty, 
And a 30-year-old man named Michael Hunter is kind of stumbling into a gas station on his motorcycle. <laughs> and he just, like, bumps into a curb and rolls off of it. So the owner of the gas station calls paramedics. Paramedics find that he has, like, a very faint heartbeat, but they can't find any external injuries on him. Uh, I think they get him undressed there, and they later discover that he has three gunshot wounds to him. Yeah, which is kind of weird. Like, why wouldn't they see entry holes or yeah. something? I know. Because they said no blood, no external mm. injuries. But if you have three bullet holes, even though it is a twenty-two that he was shot with, like, you're going to see something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you definitely should. I mean, um, if he was wearing actually what he looks like he was wearing, which was kind of like this motorcycle garb, um, mm-hmm. you know, this outfit in a way. He's really into motorcycles. He's like in a custom, he's on a custom motorcycle. He's a motorcycle racer. He's like really into that. An enthusiast even. Mm-hmm. And so it's very strange for him to just kind of stumble anyway and to collapse like this. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of theories that kind of surround this one. Um, we get to somebody who taught, I guess he taught how to ride motorcycles. Yeah. With instruction. His mm-hmm. And she's saying how she feels as though, he was shot and he took this long ride. What is the distance between where they think he was shot to the gas station? I've read it's about three miles. Okay, so, I mean, it's not that far. Really. But if you have three gunshots in you. So the gunshots actually went one in his knee. One lo- was lodged in his abdomen and the other one nicked his aorta. I mean, you're right. I mean, I don't want to go any distance when <laughs> I have three bullets in me. But sure. at the same time, if you're on a motorcycle, I guess it's hard to... With the clutch and everything. I mean, not the clutch, but the shift gears. Mm. But because of his skills, he was able to get to the gas station to get help. Because of his skills, and dare I say, like some serious adrenaline pumping through you. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine that it's a very scary thing because I, I've never been shot by a twenty two, but from what I understand, it's not as um, aggressive as a larger caliber. Right. So, it can still be deadly, but it, it really just hurts. It's not really, I mean, unless, of mm-hmm. course, it punctures something vital. And the thing about a twenty two that I understand is since the bullet is so small, where it is found is not necessarily where it went in. Like, oh, that thing can bounce all over you like a pinball. Um, so the fact that there was one lodged in his knee and lodged in there, but there was no wound there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's because it could just travel so far within your body because it is so small. Yeah, you know, it's weird when you hear people say, oh, you're not going to get killed by a 22. But, you know, this is, I mean, I'm imagining the temperature of the slug when it enters your body is extremely hot. So it's doing damage just because of the temperature. Mm-hmm. And it's also, of course, entering your body and it's a foreign object. And you're saying if it, you know, if you got shot in the arm, maybe it shifts up to your shoulder or something. Yeah, you it's very to, possible. Yeah, they have to cut that open. They need to get it out of you because aren't slugs still made of lead? I would imagine so. Probably at least in 1992. Which is extremely deadly, you know, poisonous type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you said, bacteria coming in and everything, let alone the fact that it is hanging all around in you, ripping veins and arteries and all that kind of stuff. But thankfully, he has a pint of whiskey on him. Yeah, he does have a pint of whiskey on him. They... He left his home around 7.45 p.m. He withdrew $20 from the ATM. And we see, like, the actual ATM footage of him with his helmet yeah. looking all around, pulling 20 bucks out. We see a car uh, driving in the background, and we have to think, is that the car? 
That's yeah, him? but it's nighttime and it's 1992 surveillance footage. So, I mean, you see like a light yeah. passing by. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then he stops by the liquor store, gets a pint of Jack Daniels, it looks like, at least in the reenactment, and puts it in his pocket. Now, they say later that it was found in his pocket, but they never said if it was opened or not. I was curious. Yeah, because you would, I mean, say he took a drink or two, right? Yeah. And he got shot, you know, so, I mean, if he's a little bit, you know, inebriated for one, he's inebriated Two, mm-hmm. um, he might be bleeding more because of, from what I understand, you bleed more when you have alcohol in you. Yeah. It's a blood thinner. And you're also in some decent amount of pain and you're, you're needing to use these skills and you're, you know, you've imbibed. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, we're not really not clear as to whether he drank. But I think he just picked up the liquor and was on his way home to maybe enjoy some Jack and Cokes. Who knows? Yeah. And they said that he was like, he stopped at this scenic lookout, um, which is odd at nighttime. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what made me think, like, why was he stopped there? Was he having a little nip? I don't know. And Um, and that that totally could have been his number one thing. He pulls over with this cool bike, probably. Mm-hmm. And he probably had the attention of maybe a passerby. Could this be just simply chalked up as a random um, attack? That's why I wanted to give those crime stats, because it seems like crime is pretty rampant in Emeryville. Yeah, and it it is. It's the evening. Yeah, it's nighttime. And <laughs> police say that they think it was a robbery, that they think they robbed him of his wallet. And then he peeled out, you know, they shot him while he was driving away because they wanted his motorcycle because it is a nice custom motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And that's when he kind of stumbled into the gas station. But was his wallet not found on him? Because they never told us that. If his wallet was not found on him, how did they figure out who he was? Like, I mean, they I've... could have run the plate, I guess. Oh, that's true. I but just... still, you don't, I mean, it could be somebody who stole the bike. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of information that they're holding close to the vest just because they want to be able to weed out, you know, how they'll like purposely withhold something just so the real killer will give them away. I feel like it's something like that. Now, if I was a police officer and I was a detective and I was looking at this, I would say this is easily just regular crime. But you, you'd be my police partner Mm -hmm. and you would say, wait a minute, I have new information. Mm. And I think you would you would be the you would, you're more the wild card detective, <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're like um, the molder. <laughs> you know, you're like I need to go deeper. Mm, we need to you know get justice. Your your gun. And yeah. what you dug up is um, another version of this story in a lot of ways. Another theory. Right. So should I read this in in its entirety? Sure. Sure. Okay, I found this theory again on the unsolved.com comment section. And I know that just because it's on the internet does not make it true, but this is all just pieces oh, of the puzzle that we're all that. trying to figure That's out. Strange. I believe <laughs> I believe most things. Period Uh-oh. because then you can't be wrong. Mm, okay. <laughs> Well, what it says on here is I used to work with Michael at Honda Kawasaki of Oakland. I got the call from Beverly the next morning informing the dealership of what happened. I'm pretty sure that this was payback from some guys who were in an Asian gang. A year or so prior to his murder, Michael was drinking and driving and had accidentally sideswiped a few cars belonging to some gang members while leaving a party. A few days before his murders, one of the gang members had come into the dealership to have his motorcycle serviced. He took notice that Michael was one of the mechanics. He was surprised to see Michael and said out loud, oh shit, that's the guy. A few days later, Michael was dead. I told all of this to Emeryville PD, but I guess they couldn't get anywhere with it. That's it. Well, 
It sounds a little bit like I for, I'm forgetting the details of a previous story that we discussed, but the hmm. the woman who uh, went missing because of um, the hit oh, and who run. Killed, who killed Kate? Yeah. Yeah, and um, Caitlin Arquette. Yeah, you're you have the name right there. It's amazing. Mm, I I did such a deep dive. She haunts me. And is this anywhere near? Well, you know what happened to her. Um, no, not really. I mean, there were so many, so many different things that could have happened to her, yeah. but we kind of figured okay. out like pier one heroin trafficking. From That's true. Yeah. I'm just riffing. I'm just throwing you um, curveballs. Like you're the wild card. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going <laughs> so home that- to my family and you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you have those, um, the yarn, the connecting the, um, things. Oh uh, yeah. Know. If you could peek into my mind, it does look like that. We have all the pictures and maps and yarn and everything. If you've but. ever watched, um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. There's, um, have you ever watched it? I've seen the gift that you're referring to. Oh, okay, yeah, he's uh, Charlie Kelly. He's there's mm-hmm. a scene where he's you know tying stuff together. Funny. Well, what's not <laughs> funny is sadly Michael's mother died in 2008 without ever knowing what happened to him. We'll we'll never know. I could not find anything on this guy. This makes so much more sense to me that this may be gang related. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you got to take it with a grain of salt, but like you say, you got to consider it. Well, I always wondered what would happen if if I had to go to the hospital. And I just lied. I said, hey, I, I need stitches in my hand. My name's Jimmy Bill. You know, whatever. <laughs> of course, I would come up with a stupid name like that, of course. It would sound completely <laughs> fake. But because <laughs> I can't, I'm not the greatest liar. Mm-hmm. Um, not to the face anyway. So, yeah. So my name, my name is, you know, Mark Munchausen. So, okay. <laughs> so. What would happen, I wonder? I just put in some fake numbers and everything. By the time they're done, I'm out, right? I mean, I'm uh-huh. thinking. I'm not, of course, giving anyone, hopefully not giving anyone any ideas because this is fraud. I mean, you're giving nobody ideas that Unsolved Mysteries didn't already give us. That's true. You know? Yeah. It's not on you. But this brings us to Danbury, Connecticut. Yeah, again, February 1992. Is this actually, this, well, supposedly occurred. I don't know. There's a lot of time here, but February 11th happened to be my mother's birthday. Oh, well, happy belated birthday. Thanks. So, um, yeah, so we have, we're in Denbury, Connecticut, and we have a guy whose name is Tom Hughes and he comes in, he, he's registered as Tom Hughes and he's in cardiac arrest. He's having a heart attack. After about 90 minutes, they work on him. They do their regular things. Um, he's declared as dead. When they, oh yeah, please. Um, when they start looking into all of his files, um, I'm not really. I guess they go by just the name and maybe whatever's in his wallet at this point. It's just well, they, very kind of curious. Go to, they go to contact his wife, and on the form like next to Ken, and they realize that no such person exists. So they kind of start going down more avenues, and they just keep coming up with dead ends. So we we go down this rabbit hole of him having several incidences where he would check in, get mm-hmm. medication, make a phone call to, well, he later, we later learned that he was reaching out to local attorneys, but mm-hmm. he becomes somebody that the hospitals will describe as a professional hospital patient. I've never heard yeah, of before. 
Well, he would have like self-inflicted injuries and be like, oh, I don't know what to tell you. I, I guess you better give me some pain meds and some place to sleep and eat for the next few days. And then he would skip out before they could fi- they could bill him. No, self-inflicted. I mean, is he just taking a knife to his knee or is he? I mean, How do they know if it's self-inflicted? I guess it's such a maybe it becomes obvious over a period of time. Well, in the reenactment that we get, he does have his knee all bandaged yeah. up. And he's like, oh, I fell off the roof. And you know what? My back hurts. So maybe you should give me some good medicine and uh, like maybe some x-rays and stuff like stuff that would make him need to stay longer than just like a cut on your knee. Another one of these green jellos. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and for some reason, they have his photograph taken just hours before he died. And he looked like he did not authorize that photograph to be taken. <laughs> no, I'm wondering, could this be taken from a surveillance camera no this was dead on no this was dead on this was somebody at the foot of his bed taking (laughs) a picture of him it was so bizarre and like i say he looked like he just woke up and was like huh like he was not he was not aware there's a picture and we'll post it on the facebook you know what i I don't i don't this particular picture is not burned in my mind so i need to look it up i need to see it I'll send it to you. (laughs) Because I'm one of these people and um actually there are photos I meant to send to you when I went to Lancaster where I was taking we're not supposed to take photographs in these quilt places. Mm -hmm. They want no photography. (laughs) But (laughs) I take pictures anyway because it's like, you know, I'm a sneak. Nice. And I'm sometimes if you look back, like you just kinda hold the camera in a certain way and you just tap it, you know. (laughs) <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about, Kim, right? Everybody does this, right? Sure, sure. Hidden camera. And there are a number of photographs in my life where I've done these type of things where the person's looking right at the camera. Because <laughs> I'm not <laughs> slick at all. You know, it's like I have no, you know, what's this big shiny thing with the apples? Yeah. Your flash is or on. Leave- and <laughs> exactly. The flash is like on. And what was that? Lightning? <laughs> so anyway, um, to make a long story short. It's possible somebody did that. And they're like, oh, is this guy, you know, we, I've seen this guy before, maybe. Or this yeah, guy this seems is real 1992. shady. Yeah. A little you know, 110 disc camera, you know. But I will say, too, though, when I got sick pretty recently, like in 2013, I got sick. I got cancer. I'm fine now. Um, they took my Thank God. Too. I was taking a sip of coffee. Oh, <laughs> thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Thanks, jerk. You didn't say anything. No, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm um, gonna- but they took my picture and like had it in my file. So maybe that's something. I don't really know. Yeah, I wonder, you know, I mean, when I go to Costco, my picture's on the little thing now. You know, I mean, I wonder if they had a, th- now I'm kind of thinking about this. Maybe on his medical records, they put a photograph there. Yeah, yeah. that's what I, that's what I mean when I got sick. They they took it and like had it in my file. It was really weird. So Smile, Tom. <laughs> I don't want to like- smile. I know they wheeled me in in a wheelchair. I was like, ow, ow. And they're like, just look right here. I was like, I just want medicine. Uh, (laughs) So it sounds like it's kind of maybe a Munchausen situation where he, not my situation, his situation where he's self-inflicting wounds. But they think that he's doctor hopping for pain pills. I thought maybe he's like a homeless guy and this is a way to get food and shelter for Mm, a little while. But he's also getting pain pills. So, I mean, you know. Not to say homeless people don't like pain medication. Now, this reminded me a little bit of, um, I don't know if you follow the Corey Haim and uh, Corey Feldman oh, thing. So sad. So it sad. is very sad. But there was this documentary that got released maybe a month ago or something. It was really, yeah. really overshadowed by the whole coronavirus um, craziness. Mm-hmm. And I watched it. And they're talking about, um, they were talking to um, 
Corey Feldman. Keith Coogan, who oh. was on my podcast, Walnut Grovecast. Yes, he was. And Keith um, was um, talking about how he was with Corey Haim and they would go prescription hopping. Mm. Because what would happen is at the time when they were doing this was not computerized. Mm-hmm. So you could just get, um, like nowadays, you know, if you have if you have a prescription for some type of opiate, across the board they know, all right, there are 16 pills and that's it. Mm-hmm. But with him, he can go to like maybe eight doctors and get eight mm. prescriptions and nobody's the wiser because there's no cross-reference. Wow. And, Simpler um, time. Well, I was talking to my wife and she said, this was this is going on up to just five years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of crazy. And um, that's how we bought this house. No, it's not how we bought this no. house. But, uh, <laughs> no, but and, um, it is. It's a scary thing, but it's a way of kind of gaming the system. And I'm wondering, you know, the, this guy knows that scam and he knows a number of other scams. And I think it's sad. He, he probably is addicted to pain pills. Mm-hmm. But I kind of sympathize with him a little. Yeah, I mean, he's a sad character, and it's sad when anybody dies, like, anonymous, you know? Like, that's just a bummer, like, that their family can't have peace or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they look at his phone records after he died, and they notice that he made 16 calls. 16. Yeah, all to different attorneys in the area. So his scheme was, and I don't know how this works, but he would call them up, they would they would come visit him, and he'd go, oh, hey, can I borrow like 40 bucks to get home? But like, you just add it to the tab. Right, and like the lawyer... a tiny amount of money, like something like, like 40 bucks. I, I guess it's a scam number. It's kind of like, you probably have it in your wallet. Yeah. What are you going to say? No raise red flags. Yeah. Like, like, are you really going to say no? Like to this person who might be bringing you like several thousand dollars? Yeah, that's true. But I mean, then he would skip town and the lawyers would never see him again. And they actually think that the prescription pill abuse is probably what led to his death. But he was also a bigger guy. He was like 270 pounds. Yeah. Um, just probably not in the peak of health. So we leave Unsolved Mysteries with that grumpy photo of him. And they're like, do you know this guy? He may be a little thicker since you last saw him because of all the prescription pills and just laying up in a hospital, basically. Um, so we get an update. Yeah, update. Update. I- so... Yeah. No, no, I, I was going to say, like, I'm reminding myself that I need to create um, an update stinger right there. Nice. It'll happen one of these days. <laughs> well, he's identified as Tomic Pat- Thomas Patrick White, and he did have Munchausen's. I did a little digging on Munchausen's because I thought that was like a woman thing. But it turns out Munchausen's itself is much more common in men and Munchausen's by proxy is common in women. And if you don't know, Munchausen's is just where you inflict injury to yourself just to kind of get attention and sympathy from your partner, the medical community, whatever. Yeah. And it's considered a factitious disorder. Mm -hmm. No. I, what other disorders are considered factitious? It just seems to be a weird way to describe it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's what it's like officially mm-hmm. called now. I don't think it's Munchausen's anymore. I think it's called factitious disorder. Like, I think that's the name of it. Yeah, I just looked up factitious disorder is a mental disorder in which a person acts as if he or she has a physical or mental illness. Acts as if, you know? So it's yeah. really one of these things. But he was actually causing injury to himself. So he was right. creating a disorder. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the um 
it's a strange one. You know, the whole, I don't know if you flip through the DSM five or six, whatever we're up to these days, mm-hmm. but there are so many there. There's something to describe everything. And yeah. it's really, really confusing. It just seems to be something things change um, with mental illness so quickly. These mm-hmm. days. But it, it's a very sad thing, but you, you were saying that you thought it was mostly uh, women who were Munchausen, but yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Munchausen by proxy which is common in women. And I, I don't know if you know anyone who has been accused of that before. Mm-mm, no, I don't. We, as, as a, one of the Cub, um, Boy Scout leaders, we deal with parents on a very different level. Okay. Mm. And we have these sleepovers and this one kid was kind of freaking out and he's like, and really nervous. And you know, the sun's going down and he's 10, you know, it's like, this is the first night sleepover. He's nervous. Sure. Yeah. So we call the parents and the parent goes, oh, can you just give him some, um, what's that stuff people take when they have a cold? Um, Robitussin. What's it? It it like knocks you out. It's one of those things that, um, yeah, it was like Robitussin or it might be the chemical that's in Robitussin that knocks you out. Mm -hmm. Like, like I have it, you know, packed away. I I carry it with me. Right. (laughs) And she said, oh, if he doesn't get to sleep by a certain time, just give him like, um, an ounce of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not administering medicine <laughs> that he doesn't need, you know, like, yeah. and I'm not administering any medicine. <laughs> like, even if he does need it, you're going to come and drive here for 20 minutes and pick him up. And it, it just really made me think like this kid's out of school a lot. This, mm. and him and his sister miss a lot of school. Really nice kid, really smart kid. But it just seems to be, I don't know. It's one of those things I just brought up to my wife. I'm like, I'm keeping an eye on those. Interesting. People. I do have to say, I am not accusing anybody of anything, but my mom used to give me Benadryl to knock me out on airplanes. That's it. When I was Benadryl. Little. Benadryl. Yeah. The antihistamine. So she, I mean, so that's not completely uncommon to me. But taking <laughs> but, Benadryl, <clears throat> sorry, in a serious situation like that, when you're flying, you might be really, really um, tense. I don't think that that's a big deal, personally. Um, but when you're with strangers, not really strangers, but you're not with one of your parents. Mm-hmm. And you're nervous and you're scared and you know you just mm-hmm. I just don't think it's very good um, to do that. And plus, the kid's always sick. Mm, yeah, well, that's super suspicious. So I'm keeping my eye on them. Nice, two blocks away from me, and they don't listen. So, <laughs> well, are I, we that... heading to Los Angeles in 1962? Yeah, we we get to 1962, LA. It's um, we have 16 year old Irene Love who's just kind of doing what 16 year olds do. And they're going through little boxes that maybe they'd never noticed in their parents' bedroom. Yeah. She's snooping. And she even says like, I was always a snoop, but can I say when I picked this episode to do, I told you, I think about this on a weekly basis. And this is the story I was talking about. Oh, really? And I'll tell you why, when we get to it, but there was one part in this story with full of questionable parenting decisions that just absolutely made me want to cry and melt and it's like one of those things that when i think like the world's all going to hell and i just need something happy like i'll think of this story and it's like the most pure loving thing so i'll get there when we get there but we have um a very light-skinned african-american girl and this is 1962 so Mm -hmm. i think i i don't know what to think there to be honest with you because it's a very very turbulent time and She's adopted. 
I mean, well, I'm sorry, I'm jumping right to that, but she's going to a box. I thought she was going to find a gun or something. I didn't know what to expect in this particular. Yeah, thing. she finds a birth certificate with her first name on it and her birthday. So she's yeah. like, Mom, what's this all about? And her mom's like, Ooh, boy, well, you're adopted. And that's why you don't <laughs> go snooping through stuff. And that's why the end. No. Yeah, exactly. And I, I really think that <clears throat> I'm clearing my throat. Sorry. But I really think that when the mother says, I didn't want to tell you the truth. Because I was afraid you would leave. I just think it's so selfish. It's very heartbreaking to me. I get it, kind of. Yes. I hate to say I get it. I felt bad for the mother. And I think that she did her best to raise this child in the best way that she could. And when we get to the end of the story, I still, I I look back and I think the things that these particular people did, I think are really nice. I I think it's really, really special. Above and beyond. Yeah. Um, So... She finds out that she is adopted. Her father's name's Glenn and her mother's name's Ramona. Now, Ramona happens to be a Hispanic woman. Glenn is an African-American man. And they had to give her up for adoption at the age of three days old because they were poverty stricken. Um, but her mother and father who adopt her, Minnie and Forrest Love. Love just, the names, by the way. Yeah, love. <laughs> and they couldn't have kids of their own. So they spoiled her and she said like there was never a child that had a better upbringing than I did like I was so loved I was so lucky so it's cool because actually Minnie and Forrest kind of have like couple BFFs that they hang out with all the time and they actually have a daughter that's very close in age she's only like a year older named Dolores and they are best buddies Dolores and Irene they go to Mexico together they play and hang out all the time. They get like matching outfits, matching Christmas stuff. Yeah, who and... doesn't want this person as their best friend? Especially in Mexico. I... I would love to go to Mexico when I was a kid. Yeah, there was pictures of them that was like in Tijuana and it was <laughs> yeah. just it looks fun. And they're so beautiful and they're so sweet. So um she finds out when she's talking to her mom in nineteen sixty two as the sixteen year old, her mom goes do you remember that restaurant Clifton's that we used to go to like every Sunday night? This is like, I might start crying when I talk about this. But let me also just say, this is a pretty well, I'm not well to do, but they're doing okay in life financially. Oh yeah. These are, um, they're professionals. They seem to be very, very stable people. And Mm -hmm. I really, I think that the adoptive parents are so amazing. Mm -hmm. Although I don't agree with all the choices, of course, but yeah. Yeah, so, but they're they're doing these stereotypical things that good families do, especially you know, they're they're doing the right thing. Like they're going out to dinner every Sunday night. It's kind of like a fun mm-hmm. thing that when you look back, you have this really wonderful um, base of what a family is, and it just sounds like Absolutely. they really did a good job raising. But yeah, they yeah. Uh, they went to Clifton's, which sounds like a pretty Ooh. pretty damn good restaurant, actually. It was I fancy what the specials too. Were. Yeah, I mean, I like, don't know. All the busboys wore like little ties and stuff. It was very fancy. And they're dressed up a little bit, and it's nice. It's Sunday dinner, right? So, oh, yes. do you want to tell the story? Yes, please. I can't. <laughs> so they sit her in like a different spot every time that they go, and she's like, "What's that all about?" And they go, "Oh, I'm sorry." They say, "Your mother." was a waitress there and your father was a busboy. So we used to take you to to Clifton's every Sunday and sit you where they could see you and watch you grow up. 
That is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life. And considering that the mom is so like afraid that the birth parents are going to somehow like lure her back in. It was very selfless of her to bring her daughter to the restaurant so that the birth parents could watch her grow. Oh, it's just so beautiful. I got goosebumps. Now, when, when I was younger, um, we used to do Sunday dinner as well. Right. And it started making me like, think about the waitresses and waiters that, that I've dealt with. (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) Anybody look like you? Yeah. I have a story to tell. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I started thinking about um, my own personal, I guess, experiences with, waiters and waitresses because they when you're in a restaurant and there's a kid there you get different type of access i think mm-hmm. where like why don't you come with me and you could pick out the dessert you know like i remember doing that with you know and it would be like this big event you know it's like oh i'm gonna pick out any dessert i want from the stupid case you know yeah and I'm just it's thinking, so special and i'm thinking all right well that's fine for the waitress to do that to somebody who's not their kid and it's fun mm-hmm. and dandy. But what happens when it's your biological child? I think it's a very special, tiny moment that was really, really important to this biological mom. And I oh yeah, think it is magical. I really do. I do, too. And they show, like, the father cleaning up the, the busboy dishes and stuff. And he'll turn around and he'll just, like, extend his hand out behind her back. And just, like, he wants to touch her, but he can't. And, I just wish they oh. kept the kids. I don't know. Figured it out or something, you know? Yeah, I know. They were just, they were poor. So yeah, yeah. Um, sadly, in 1956, our parents, you know, Minnie and, I forgot his name, I'm sorry, Minnie and Forrest. Forrest thank you. They, their best friend, Billy, the, the mom of the other little girl, she dies all of a sudden. So just like in typical 1950s fashion, the dad's like, a girl, I can't raise a girl. Let me kick you out. So <laughs> he gets rid of the 10-year-old little girl, Dolores, the little best friend, to who to Ramona the waitress at the Clifton's yeah. and why does he get rid of her to Ramona Mark because it's her kid Dolores, Dolores and Irene yeah. are sisters what yeah like this is one of these things where it it connects a lot of dots I think it's easy to also the whole thing is so weird to me and there's a certain cruelty that I connect to this as well. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Um, I don't think I don't think information is that horrible to share with kids. <laughs> I just I think honesty is a it goes a long way. I and, do too, and with trust issues and everything like that. I mean, you're lying to this girl, like purposely lying. And the really cruel thing to me is that once Dolores got sent back to her biological mother. Minnie, our mom, got refused to let Irene see her because she was afraid that Irene would figure out that that's also her mother. Right. So six years go by about, right? I mean, I'm not. How many yeah. years do we know? Oh well, she didn't see her from 196 or from, sorry, 1950s ish until 1989 when we're on Unsolved Mysteries. Well, this is where I'm confused. Did they actually get back together? No, ever since she, they haven't seen each other since they were 10 years old. That's the last time when the mom died and she was shipped off. Wow. Yeah. And so in 1989, Irene's adoptive parents died. And probably because her mom was like so afraid, she kind of put this search on the back burner for her biological family because now she knows she's adopted. And I guess she knows that 
Dolores is her sister at this point. You think? Yeah, I think so because she's looking for her sister. Like that's yeah. So she's got to know at some point. Um, so she just says, she says this at the end of her interview. Oh, she said, I hope one day that we can come together and be the silly little girls that we were growing up because I'm still a little silly little girl at heart and I want to be with her as soon as possible. That just sucks. And because it ends, that's it. There's no update. Nope. No update, but I did find an update. A little bit of an update. (laughs) I did from unsolved.com again. Um, sadly, when this episode aired in 1992, Dolores had already died. She died in 1991. Um, so sadly, Irene never got to reunite with her little best buddy, a.k.a. her sister. Um, Glenn and Ramona passed away. They divorced and they passed away, but they have a lot more other children Mm -hmm. from um, her other marriage. So she was able to meet a lot of her like half siblings, which is nice. Um, but yeah, her, she sadly died away, died, died away, died in 2012. And her granddaughter said that, excuse me, she met a lot of her birth family, but not all of them. Yeah. It's, this is happening a lot on unsolved mysteries. I I think we're starting to see these type of things we're bringing together. And sometimes it just doesn't happen the way that we want it to. I know. I would have loved nothing more than for an update with like the picture of the two of them like hugging or like recreating that Tijuana picture. Oh, but you know, in the eighties and nineties or seventies, this probably almost never happened. There was almost no way to reunite, but Mm -hmm. now because of, you know, things like Facebook and all of these things, um, I, I think that maybe we'll see more and more of these type of things happening in real life. Yeah, totally. It's so crazy what you can find on Facebook. I found the two half-sisters that she had (laughs) on Facebook. And one of them's named Irene, which is kind of odd. Yeah, that is very odd. So, I mean, could it be a granddaughter? No, it's definitely her half-sister. And I think that the mom just, like, missed Irene so much. You know, Ramona missed her so much that she had, like, a surrogate Irene. Oh, my God. That's my theory. I mean, I have no basis to that, but that's just what I feel. It's a good one. Thank you. <laughs> but here's the story is that that Irene is also adopted. No. Um, what? So, yeah, it's like, <laughs> holy rabbit hole. All right. This doesn't end. But, yeah, there's no update to that one. That one. Um, I think that it's always curious to me when Unsolved Mysteries ends on a low note. It was a low note. But honestly, for me, this is the reason I think of that every week. Because thinking of these parents every single day dressing their adoptive daughter up and sitting her to where her birth parents could see her and monitor her growth is truly one of the most pure and selfless things I've ever heard of. So to me, even though it didn't necessarily have a happy ending, it was a happy story. Yeah, that's I, I, I wish that was a story that was more common. Because we do hear so many other types of stories where the parents want nothing to do with the birth parents. And, you know, or, you know, of course, the birth parents have that choice of I don't want anything to do with it's too painful. Mm -hmm. Um, But all in all, I think adoption is um, is a really great thing. Uh, It's one of the if my wife actually was okay with it, I would definitely adopt a child right now. Mm. Um, No, I would. And it's just one of those things where in, in the back of my head, I'm. Always thinking, um, like I, we kind of regret not having a second kid, but when mm-hmm. we look at our bank account, we don't regret it because yeah. we realize how expensive it is to have two, three, four kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and my son really does enjoy having the focus of our finances on him. <laughs> so 
it's really one of those type of things. I have friends uh, who have multiple kids and it's always, it's always a struggle, you know, emotions, um, different personalities, and it, it's just very expensive. Yeah, um, no doubt. But I would definitely, uh, you know, I have, um, I have a friend who I just learned is adopted. He didn't learn that he's just adopted, but you know, he grew up with a really, really beautiful family and um, it's just, I think it's one of the best things that people can do. Absolutely. You know? if, if you have the means to do it, of course. Yeah. But, um, all right. Well, thank you very much for getting together for this episode, Kim. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. And look us up on Facebook, Unsolved Mysteries Rewind. It's probably the best place to kind of reach out to us, see what we're posting. And Kim comes up with these crazy-ass gifts that, I don't know, I just, I want to figure a way to get them to be shared more often because some of them are just so funny. We'll figure it out together. But we also have some really fun conversation topics. Like if you guys want to hear about the time that I was left alone in a room with somebody who six months later decided to rape and murder somebody, go ahead and join the Unsolved Mysteries Rewind Facebook page because that was a conversation that just happened today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we get into some crazy conversations, but, you know, I missed that one. Oh, well, (laughs) I'm going to go and check notifications. Holy moly. Um. We have fun. It's it's all like-minded people there. Yes. And yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Also, if you have a favorite episode, you know, post it on there. Talk about it. Um, we're all about communication. We're, we're kind of an open book in that sense. We're very open to your ideas and we're ready to run with them. Tonight, we have been confronted with an entire catalog of unexplained and unsolved events. Tune in next time. Unsolved Mysteries Rewind discusses another collection of unsolved mysteries. Until then, we can only look and wonder.